morning, our scripture comes from the book of 2 Timothy. It's a letter to a young man growing and learning to be in the faith, maturing, thinking about what does it look like to live this out and help others live it out as well. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Hear and listen for God to still speak this morning. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. That is the word of God for the people of God. Let us say together, thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak to us as a church community. And speak the word that each of us individually need to hear. Holy Spirit, May all that I say point us toward greater union and intimacy with you, the lover of our body, minds, hearts, and souls. Amen. Grace United Methodist Church. I have come this morning with a word of judgment against you. For years... You all have been sinning against the Lord your God. And we need to put a stop to this rebellion. We must get rid of our bathrooms. Our indoor plumbing is an abomination to God. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Verses 9 through 14. When you are camped in battle against your enemies, guard yourself from every possible evil. If an individual in the camp becomes polluted due to a nighttime emission, he must exit the camp area and not re-enter. When the next evening arrives, he must wash with water, and when the sun sets, he can come back to the camp. The latrines, a.k.a. the toilet, must be outside the camp. You will use them there, outside the camp. Carry a shovel with the rest of your gear. Once you have relieved yourself, Use it to dig a hole, then refill it, covering your excrement. Do these things, because the Lord your God travels with you, right in the middle of your camp, ready to save you and to hand your enemies over to you. For this reason, your camp must be holy. The Lord must not see anything indecent among you, or he will turn away from you. Again, the word of God for the people of God. So there you have it, friends. 
Starting next week, if you come to in-person worship, there will be a shovel for you, right? Maybe alongside that door for you to go outside and relieve yourself if you need to. Aren't you excited for winter now? Outhouses returning to Michigan, all because God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. If that doesn't make you want to worship online, I don't know what will. I'm so glad our online folks are avoiding the sin that we are committing here, although I hope they still continue to give because apparently we need to invest in a porter potty. That sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? And it is. But the church in the late 19th century didn't think it was ridiculous. In the time period of about the decade of the 1880s, a lot of preachers were giving sermons saying that it would be sinful for churches to have indoor bathrooms because of that passage that we just read. They said God wouldn't want to see those indecent things. God said it. They believed it. That settled it. Now I want to say in all seriousness, when we talk about that phrase in normal everyday church talk that could give that phrase can give a sense of potential assurance for those of us in the church can perhaps in a certain way make us feel like we're on the right side and for the others who are on the wrong side either they need to get in line or too bad too sad for them except that's not exactly the best strategy for evangelism And yet, at the same time, this is important, our passage from 2 Timothy tells us that all of Scripture is God-breathed. And yes, I do agree with that, the author of that statement. Now, they were only writing about the Scripture that they knew about, which was the Old Testament, as the New Testament was, hadn't even, even been finalized yet. But I do believe that all of Scripture, when interpreted faithfully to the best of our ability, is useful for growing us spiritually and teaching us who God is. The Bible, in my opinion, it's one of God's greatest gifts towards us. But friends, when we don't think about it critically, when we allow ourselves, when we don't allow ourselves to use the minds, the brains that God has given us to be able to think critically, sometimes we make this amazing and wonderful gift of Holy Scripture overly simplistic. And the result is that we end up with a to-do list of Christianity at best, rather than a truly deep engagement and transformative experience with God. 
We have tried to control God, to make God fit into our cultural boxes by making God obey our overly simplistic interpretations. We have even weaponized our holy scriptures, using them to justify slavery, oppress women, silence victims of abuse and violence, deeply harming people who are already at the farthest edges of society. And friends, when we have done that, we have committed horrific sins against God because we have allowed our prejudice and greed to interpret the Bible instead of engaging in the difficult yet life-giving work that God calls us to. The reality is, is that this book is really complicated. It's wonderful. Beautiful. And it's complicated. Something can be both wonderful and complicated. Friends, this book was written and put together over thousands of years by a lot of different writers, and then a lot of different people debated about those authors and who should be included in this book. It was not a simple process in putting it together, and it's not a simple process to understand it today. There's this acronym that I once heard about the Bible being basic instructions before leaving Earth, except... The Bible is neither basic and has more to do with how we live on earth now than what happens afterward. Friends, I hope you can hear today that it is an act of love toward God to think critically about the Bible. We engage and think critically about Scripture because we love God and because we want to be responsible stewards of the gift God has given us. And it's not because we don't believe the Bible has authority for our life. You can think critically about something and still proclaim it has authority and power. Because like any gift, we're called to use it in the way it was intended to be used. We're called to use the Bible in the way the authors intended it to be used, and not just using our modern cultural understanding. It's faithful to take time to study, understanding the genre that, guess what, the book of Psalms is written different than the book of Numbers, and that impacts how we view it and interpret it. It's important to understand the historical context. What were the people who this original message was proclaimed to? What were they experiencing? What would they have been thinking about this as they heard these words? Because if we don't do this, then we end up with poor interpretations because the reality is every single one of us, whenever we come to any scripture or anything, there's already a lens through which we are interpreting it. How we have lived our life, our culture, our experience impacts our interpretation. So in order to faithfully interpret the text as best we can, we need to try to see it through an ancient worldview. And then think, okay, how do we live this out for today? 
Because the type of thinking that says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, is not how these ancient people would have approached Scripture. It is a very modern invention. And yes, this did not start, that people did not start approaching Scripture like this until the Bible was used to start to justify slavery. It's only when people had something to gain that they used the Bible like this. Now, I want you to hear that not everybody who says that phrase or even has somewhat of a similar philosophy in today's world say that because they have something to gain. It's just what they were taught. But it is the, what the original people who started thinking like this used the Bible for. That type of thinking not only harms our neighbors, it's frankly unfaithful toward God, toward being responsible with one of the greatest gifts he's given to us. It has led to the silencing of women who have been called by God to ministry. People have taken instances like Paul's words in the letter to the Corinthians to keep women from preaching. But let's think about that for a second. If Jesus wasn't okay with women preaching, nobody would have ever heard about the resurrection. Because after Jesus was resurrected, one of the first things he does is he commissions women to go tell about what they have just seen. Could you have imagined if they had responded to Jesus' command to go and tell people about the risen Christ and they just say, Well, Jesus, I appreciate it. But in a few more years, there's going to be this guy, Paul. And he's going to write that we women folks should just be silent in church. So I'm just going to sit here. Thanks be to God that it didn't happen. This is why we need to remember that all of Scripture was written with a specific audience in mind. And while we will have another time to discuss the women in ministry, which, just FYI, I would not be part of a church that did not ordain and empower women in ministry. We need to understand that Paul was writing toward a specific group, and he didn't want wealthy Corinthian women distracting people in worship with gossip and fancy clothes and topics that were more about making themselves look good rather than pointing each other toward Christ. Because when we take time to understand the culture of the people in the text and what was going on in their world, when we come to the text with questions, wondering a curiosity, it allows us into a more full and complete understanding of who God is. It's an act of love and trust in God. We do this because we have engaged with Scripture and not just read it through with our own bias that we naturally bring it to, our own cultural lens. I say this with all sincerity, we need to repent for how we have used this wonderful gift of scripture to do that has done horrific harm to oppress, to marginalize people. We have misused one of God's greatest gifts toward us and we need to ask for forgiveness and we need to be more responsible with it. None of us should be left reading the Bible and always feel comfortable. 
we should all be challenged with it. Just saw something yesterday, or maybe even this morning, that said something to the effect of, if you read the Bible and you're not challenged by it, then you're not really reading it. And at the same time, it's ultimately the book of life. And that's why we need to use it in ways that give life, rather than to take it away. One of our basic guiding principles in United Methodism is to do no harm. And we have tragically used the Bible to do harm. And I share this reluctantly, but I just want you to hang in there for a second with me. I think this is because we forget who we follow. We don't follow the Bible. We follow Jesus. Now, Jesus is best revealed in the Bible. And we can't fully follow Jesus without the Bible. But Jesus is the one we follow. And I want to say that again. We follow Jesus, not the Bible. But Jesus is best revealed in the Bible. And we can't fully follow Jesus without the Bible. But Jesus is still the one we follow. Because as we follow and engage with Jesus and engage with the Bible to better follow Jesus, we need to recognize that even as we try to faithfully interpret the Bible, we're still going to get some things wrong at the end of the day. Friends, we are finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. We're going to miss the mark. We're going to come up short in some ways. Doesn't mean we don't try. We're just called to use it in the way it was intended to. Because when we use the Bible for something that was not intended for, it creates a faith that doesn't work in the world. And it's one that definitely does not draw others in. So what I'd like to submit to you this morning is that maybe we shouldn't hold our interpretations of the Bible as the most crucial thing. But maybe we should hold how our interpretations reflect Jesus. Because living a life that reflects Jesus is what it's about at the end of the day. For goodness sakes, please don't hear that I'm saying don't spend time in the Bible. Invest in it. For the love of God, turn off the TV and all that political content and engage with God in Scripture. Let that be your guiding principle in these next couple of months. It's going to be so worth it. So yes, engage with the Bible and make sure that the way we engage with the Bible leads us toward greater devotion of following Jesus and loving God and neighbor. At the bottom of my heart, the truest of truths, I really believe engaging with Scripture on a deep level, the deeper I've gone, the more it can change your life.
This is the best story that has ever been given to us. That doesn't mean it's going to be simple. That doesn't mean we're going to be able to understand every crooked nanny of it. But it means we have a gift we're responsible for. And when we use it in ways that it was intended for, lives and whole communities can be transformed. But when we use it for our own ends, lives can be ruined. God holds us accountable for how we use what has been given to us. I mean, for goodness sakes, friends, if we take the Bible too literally, we'll never be able to eat bacon again. How terrifying is that? The Lord and I would need to have a talk about that. But because God calls us to engage and interpret, usually interpret within a community as faithfully as we can, we get to enjoy the Bible, bacon, and yes, indoor plumbing. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we are coming to the table. A table that we come to commune with the man who we are called to follow. So all of you here today are welcome to take part in this holy meal and to meet with Jesus. This is World Communion Sunday when we join with all the people across the world, recognizing that the body of Christ is wide and reaches farther than any of us can imagine. This is an inclusive table because it belongs to Jesus. And I believe that even more so because of a quote I heard earlier this week from a pastor named Jonathan Martin. I had never heard of him before, but he said this, I found it so appropriate for World Communion Sunday. If you've ever felt excluded from the table of Christ, from the table of grace, it was not the table of Christ you were excluded from. How do I know that? It's because you were excluded. And if you were excluded from the table of Christ, then it was not yet the table of Christ. You know it's not yet his table when someone else is in charge of the guest list. If Jesus is not the one in charge of the guest list, it's not Christ's table. Thanks be to God, we're not in charge of the guest list. So this table across the whole world this morning is open. So let's join with our siblings who will be, some have already taken that communion, some will be taking it all throughout these next 24-ish hours. Let's join with them all, coming to a table that knows no bounds. Will you please join me in our special communion liturgy this morning for World Communion Sunday that is adapted from the book Is It Communion Sunday Already by B.J. Bowe and Mary Cyphers. You can follow along in your program this morning. With Christians around the world, come to the festival of love. 
with believers from every continent on earth, come to the festival of grace. With the whole body of Christ, come to the festival of life. God of unity and strength, in our longing for wholeness, we reach out to your Son, whose touch heals our brokenness. In our yearning for community, we take hold of the promise of Christ, whose life and love binds us together as one. From lives of separation and distrust, knit us into one family, where all are welcomed and honored. We share the bread of life and drink the cup of salvation. Forge us anew as one people of faith. Once we are not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had no place to call our home, now we abide in God's everlasting arms. Once we had no family, now all who confess Jesus with their lips and do the works of Christian love are our siblings. Once we ate, but our hunger was not satisfied. Now we feast on the living bread, the bread of heaven. Once we drank, but our thirst was not quenched. Now we drink our fill from God's cup, the cup of blessing. Once we are not a people, now we are God's people. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of all things in heaven and on earth. In the beginning you brought forth life, that every living thing that might live in harmony in the great circle of life. After fashioning our frame from the dust and bones of the earth, you placed your image within us and declared that it was not good for us to be alone. Created to be in unity and harmony with creation and with one another, you sent us prophets and teachers when we broke fellowship with one another. You sent us prophets and teachers when we broke fellowship with one another and when our pride sought out differences among us. In the fullness of time, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to fashion us into a holy community that would be his body here on earth. Even when dissent and division threatened to pull his followers apart, Jesus prayed that we might all be one in his name and shared with us the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation in his name. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name, join their unending hymn, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you. Blessed is your bread of heaven, Christ Jesus. When you sent Christ to be with us, he offered us his very self, that we might have the strength to stand when all hope seems lost. Through the holy mystery of this table, you invite us into your presence. Tend to us in your, our weakness. Strengthen us through this bread and this cup. With joy and gratitude, we remember the night when Jesus took the bread, broke it, 
and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is the bread of life given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my life, and the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, a worldwide gift, a global gift, in fact, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving. As your covenant people and as reflections of your glory and union with Christ's love for us, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Say it with me and let's say it boldly. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Holy God, pour out your spirit and power upon these gifts of bread and cup, that through this holy sacrament we might be the body of Christ for the world. Make them be for us your loving presence, living in us and through us. As your spirit calls us into unity through the power of Christ Jesus, make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Amen. Friends, may now take the individual cups that are at your place. Take out the wafer and hold it. Friends, the body of Christ given in love, take and eat. The blood of Christ, given for forgiveness once and for all, take and drink. Friends, now that we have feasted at Christ's table together, a worldwide table, let us respond to God in music. Don and Denise.
Well, friends, now this is our time to lift up all that we need to before God, placing those concerns and also thanking Him for the joys and putting them right in the arms of Christ, in the hands of Christ. What do we need to pray for this morning, friends? I did come in and see that the tables were around, so that's cool. I think I saw some stuff back there. I'm like, oh, that's that's what happened. Very cool. Looks great. Yes. President and First Lady at this time, and all the staff as well. at least get a Zoom time or? Um, we'll see next weekend. Good. That's We're awesome. With a <laughs> That's fine. Enjoy the, enjoy the joy. Okay. You weren't just playing sick to get out of it, were you, Chuck? Yeah, we'll we'll pray for that for sure. Need that medicine. Need that treatment. All right, friends, let us pray. God, we come this morning grateful for the breath in our lungs. Come grateful for the food that we had access to this morning or will later today. Come grateful with just to have bank accounts with funds in them. And just to have a bank account, period. God, we thank you for the ability to still come and gather as safely as we can. God, and we thank you for the gifts of Holy Scripture, for the words that were penned by these inspired and spirit-filled authors thousands of years ago, and yes, that still speak today and give us power, guidance, truth, encouragement, correction. We thank you for their witness, and we ask for guidance to be faithful stewards with this gift, to be responsible, to be able to engage with the mind that you have given us so that we can share with others in truth and love the goodness that you can bring in our world and in our lives. 
God, we just give you thanks for simple things like shampoo that took a lot of effort and time. Thank you for Claude in that. God, and we pray for our country right now. Lord, we know that there are hearts of aggression. That even as some people get sick, well, friend, God, there's a lot of emotions that come with that for some people. But God, the reality is you call us to pray for the sick because everybody matters. So we pray for our president and we pray for our first lady. We pray for their hospital staff, getting him the right treatment at this very time. We pray for all the White House staff. We even pray for the custodians and the people who worked here and all around that building to be healthy and safe, Lord. We ask for full and complete recovery for everybody who has that virus, especially for our leaders right now. We ask for no lingering side effects, God. Get them the treatment and rest they need. God, and we also pray for Chuck's platelet count. We ask for that to get to the point where he can receive the treatment that he needs now again, Lord Jesus. And God, we pray for all that is still on our hearts and minds in this time, whatever that may be. God, and we also give you thanks for things like a grandchild's birthday, the joy that they bring, Lord. Allow Calvin to just grow up into the individual you have called him to be, that he can be invested in and shown who you are as a God of love by engaging in a thing like the Bible. God, let us now pray as you taught us to pray, saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.